Hello everybody, this is Samir Azizi and welcome to Azizi Podcast. And today we have a special guest, guest uh, Lucas Cattell, or uh, you might know him by the name Luki. And uh, I just want to say that he's a kind of a big deal on Twitter. Probably everyone knows his uh, his profile pic. He, he's always saying something outrageous. He's always there. He always says something on point as well. So welcome, Luki. How are you? Good. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Hey, the pleasure is all mine. I'm, I, I've been a little bit nervous because I, I do respect you a lot. I do know of you. I know who are you. We never met in person, but you, you're sort of, you, you own your... It's real disappointing when you meet me. That's like the oh, yeah? overwhelming take. It's like, oh, it's just this guy. So don't worry. Why do it's people disappoint? Less... Yeah, it's just disappointing. So don't worry. If you meet me in place, you'd be like, ah, oh, it's just, it, it's disappointing. So you can keep <laughs> going, but it really is disappointing when you meet me. All right, so uh, we're all going to be disappointed when we'll see Luki in person. But until then, let's keep our hopes up because <laughs> Luki wrote a book and it's called Inside the Ropes of Boxing with the Forward by uh, Jill Diamond of WBC Cares by Lucas Cattell. And I'll show show the um, yeah the front page right here on the phone. And he's showing his book here right, right away. That's awesome. Let me, so, let me talk so you can see it. We got we got an actual spine. Look at that artwork on the back. And I know. Check this out. Words. Words. That's crazy, man. What what made you write a book about boxing, of all things? Uh, my good friend, Frank Steya. Uh, we were talking because we talk. That's what friends do. They talk. <laughs> and uh, he just said, before it's all said and done, I need to write two books before I die. And I'm probably at that like midpoint where like I got like I got to really kind of go for a legacy point because I don't really have as much time to dilly around as I want. And yeah. I just wrote it in five days. I just kind of pieced something together. And I was about took... to say the book is kind of short. Like it's like 60 pages there. But, no, I mean, it's, it's it's like 117 pages. Um, But I mean, it's a, like it was as pure of an experience as I've had in boxing. And mm -hmm. it's more like... um. Niccolo Machiavelli's The Prince. It's more of like a treatise than it is a book. So it's more like a handbook for a young person, someone in the USA boxing program, someone that's maybe just a boxing enthusiast. This is a handbook to negotiate power and also a handbook to like make good decisions. Every chapter ends with a question, so forth and so on. I love, I love the questions at the end, by the way. Thank you, man. That, that's a, that's a, that's that was a very like. Move. That was very like MBA school of you. <laughs> to, to, to I, I, I wanted to do something. So if someone else does it, then it's very obvious. They just took my thing. You know, I came in the game to change it up a little bit. So, so let's let's talk about that. I don't want to interrupt you, but I just want to let you know right away. My audience for this podcast divides into categories. The ones who are hardcore boxing fans and just listening to this podcast, uh, they're trying to be nice to me. And the ones who absolutely have no idea what boxing is, and they're just here to to listen to other topics. That's why, because of this contrast, I just want to give you opportunity to introduce yourself in several like sentences, basically. What's your background? Who are you? Why are you uh, uh, writing about boxing? What, what is it about you? I mean, it's, it, I mean, I'm a boxing guy, you know? I mean, I've been around... I don't want to put a number on it, but I've been around a lot of high-level boxers. I've been around a lot of world-famous people. You know, um, I'm not someone that... I don't want to just sit up here and just kind of say who I've been around. I've been around a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest thing for me is 
the amateur system and young fighters developing that's the only thing that keeps me in boxing anymore the main events doesn't really interest me as much it's really about seeing young people going on a journey chasing their dream so this is just a short book for young people or people of all ages to sit and think about um what they want from this sport and kind of i think why i put reflection on it like the book was about to be 210 pages and we cut it down to 117. Mm. So like we really, really tried to bare bone this book down to the point where it's like, look, boxing is not the NBA law school. You're mm. not getting a lot of people that are going to really be deep readers. I've tried to read one book a week, two book a week. You're not getting that in boxing gyms. So this is, I'm a guy that's been around boxing gyms. I've been in camps for pay-per-view fights, tons of stuff. And I wrote a book to just be a guidebook to i'm not saying i know all the answers but i'm trying to offer reflection for mm -hmm. people who might be in dark places or unsure this is a, a vessel and a tool i hope for people who feel helpless i feel like you know reading uh like starting the reading on the book i realized that you're sort of like that transition between amateur to pro to professional boxing is something that uh you want to focus on and Honestly, I have this feeling like reading the book and also from my personal experience is, is basically this. I'm going to write a book that's going to talk about this sport and this sport is full of bullshit and it's full of bullshit people and bullshit situations. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, like, I'm going to write about something that you will encounter because people encounter this all the time. This is not new. And for you to not get caught up with that, uh, here's your instruction guide. And hence this Prince Machiavelli, it's, it's kind of an interesting uh, comparison because it's actually a, a good, good comparison for someone to actually look it up and read it. Do you think I'm right when I describe what you're writing, what, you, what, you, what the book is about or, or not? Well, I mean, I'll be candidly honest. Like, I literally just sat down to write down what I know. I read Machiavelli's The Prince every three nights. So that's a book that I've probably read about a thousand times because since I was 27, I read Machiavelli once a week, The Prince. So I think when you read something that much, that inherently becomes how you write or how you think because I just consume over that. Richard Caro's um, Master of the Senate. Um, those are books that I really think about. Like I always think about, I read a lot about presidents. How do presidents negotiate power, right? How are What are the ways people... Because like there's guys like Warren Buffett, right? Warren Buffett has more money in the world, but he doesn't spend it. The point of him making money is to prove we can't make money like him and to stare at us and say, you just can't do it. I don't want to spend it. I just want to show that I'm vastly more powerful than you. And I always think those situations are interesting. Um, boxing is full of a lot of really good people. The problem is there's not a lot of money to be made in boxing except for at the very top. So you get put in situations with people that you really like and you really care about in which situations in other industries wouldn't happen. I said to someone earlier, if you get fired from State Farm, you can work at Allstate. In boxing, if you aren't in the boxing industry or you leave the boxing industry, where do you go? You go to like a minimum wage job more than likely, unless you have some type of backup. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you get different type of problems at different levels in boxing because I think everyone somewhat means well unless they've been hurt in a way and they want other people to be hurt maybe to a certain extent. So I think this is more of just kind of like this is how you this is a roadmap or this is a, a thought process.
You've mentioned an interesting, um, and, and I think this is a great response, by the way. In, in the book, you've said this interesting thing. Boxing, professional boxing is the land of no structure. And I was like, that is spot on. Like, there's no league there. There's no, like, a governing, ultimate governing body or anything like that. Something like, like, something like, NFL or like even like UFC or something like that. There's no such organization, so everything is sort of like its own little, uh, little show. And it's uh, free market capitalism. It's the purest form of free market capitalism, I believe, because there's no regulation to it. You got the IBF, the WBC, the WBO, the WBA. Then you got here's this this world that's top rank. This one. Then you got club shows, and it's just like basically it's like a store that's being looted and then people just kind of periodically come in and sometimes it comes and it's good and sometimes it's bad but it's like it's really how can you be powerful enough to accumulate as much money as possible at the highest level of sport professional boxing a store that is being looted i i love that i love that because it uh it can be viewed in different ways um, I do think, yes, like boxing, uh, if you're at the very top, it, it gives you high return because, again, you don't have to share the spoils with a lot of different, uh, I would say, you know, like like the staff or anything like that. Everything like the money from the TV goes to the promoter and all that. And it's getting, uh, I would say, you know, shared. I want to come back to Prince and Machiavelli. And uh, I don't know, I just think that's a very interesting um comparison that you draw through Prince and Machiavelli it's it's kind of like a hierarchy play right it's kind of like how do you do certain things so that you become like that you go from from like the low level to the high level through your wit and your mastery and all of that considering that boxing is a no structure sport I would say no uh, how do you say it's decentralized kind of thing what how does the hierarchy in box in professional boxing looks like when you're a prospect and what is what are the, the main laws that you have to obey that you would you know like to talk about for example give me like two or three for example what should a young uh fighter do to become better at this game well i'll give you two quotes one from niccolo machiavelli everyone sees what you appear to be but few experience what you really are isn't that more fitting of a boxer you have to many times appear to be weak or humble or that, but you're really mean and nasty. You get in there and you're really trying to hurt someone, but you don't want the world to see that because that's not what the world wants to consume. So that really is a principle that I think applies to a lot of things. I think another principle that I use every single day of my work life and I think is one of the greatest quotes ever is a James Prince quote. If you campaign long enough, you will get elected. I like that quote. And I think that really is a boxing quote. That's a familiar voice to me when I first heard that. And I say that every day. I think that what boxing is, is it's a sport, but it's also your ability to navigate a system and pick up on patterns. And how readily can you pick up on these patterns while achieving certain levels of status? And those that have athletic ability with pattern recognition maybe a form of support or someone that sees something in them, they're able to excel in this system. But then even if you go pro from the amateurs, right? Amateur boxing, that's like the triple A. You go pro, you need a cut man, right? You need a cut man. You can't just hire the house cut man and assume they're going to care. Like they might, you might get a Mike Basil, you might get a Stitch Duran, you might get a Mike Rodriguez, or you might get a guy that's really tired and he's thinking about where he's going to eat dinner for the night. Now you're cut. Now your career is on the line because you Mm -hmm. didn't invest in that, right? 
or just simple things like that. So I think this book is thinking through situations that I think a lot of times in boxing, people think this situation would never happen to me because I'm the X factor. Listen, look, obviously, you know, boxers are rarely care about those things themselves, not because they don't care that, but just because they're not at capacity to care for like details like that, because they're training or perhaps they were, were not taught. Usually what they do is they hire some, some manager in quotations, you know, or, or some, some, some promoter from the streets or something like that, or a manager is their cousin, you know, just because like, yo, like fool, I'll help you out or whatever. Like, let's, let's work together. Or the dangerous manager promoter ambiguous combination that's not really supposed to be legal, but it's like yeah, he functions as a manager, but he's somehow the promoter. Is that the Muhammad Ali Act kind of thing that was already but, signed, but it's not being activated kind of thing? Well, I mean, like you just have to like let's say you and me are working with a fighter. If you're the promoter and I'm the manager and we hang out every day, if my name is the manager and you're the promoter, how is that much different? Mm-hmm. So you're saying conflict of, of interest is always there and you don't, you're not sure if uh, boxer has, if the boxer's best interests are on the mind of, of that manager, for example. Well, I think the boxer's best interests are typically on the interest of the manager because the managers, if you're a pro boxing manager, you're looking to get the most capital from the fighter. So mm -hmm. I think that typically is the best interest. The problem is the way the fighter views themselves and the way the world views themselves, that mm -hmm. fighter is not always the same. And I think a lot of the can battles... You, can you give fighters, an example? Can you give an example of that? Like what, what kind of fighter think of themselves that are other ones not? Well, I mean, how many people... Like I'm about to sell my book tonight at the gym. I'm on the West Coast. So I'm going at 7 o'clock. I'm going to eat a really good bison burger tonight. It's going to be fabulous. I'm going to eat it. Go to the gym and sell it. I guarantee you one person at this gym is going to tell me that someone in the gym could be better than Floyd Mayweather. Right. Mm. So it's like a 12 year old kid and I'm going to get an unreal expectation that he might be one of the greatest boxers ever, which I mean, that's just a lot to put on someone. And now imagine if he can get signed by a major promoter, he's going to really think he's Floyd where he might be a really good world championship level fighter, but he might not have hit those thresholds to be Floyd. So you have fighters that are looking up to their heroes of Roy Jones, Andre Ward, Shakur Stevenson, Jerome Boots Ennis, whoever the fighter is that looks great. And they want to be that fighter, but they might be a fighter that's not quite that dynamic, that doesn't have as big of an impact on culture at large, but it still doesn't devalue them. But then when they're being put in certain positions, they'll be like, hey, man, I'm supposed to be getting whatever it is they feel a, a fighter in their path and position should be getting. So you're saying it's it's kind of a hard, right? Let let's say boxer the a boxer really believes in himself and he thinks that he's that great and that kind of keeps him going. Uh, but in reality, he's not. He's just mediocre. You know, he's a good talent or he's a good athlete, but he's just not a, an elite. Is that manager's responsibility to tell them that or promoters be like, hey, like you're actually not that great. We're just gonna keep you in the middle and you're just gonna get your paycheck for five years and then uh, good luck. How how do I we mean, I... what do we do with that? I mean, that's part of the system navigating, right? So at a certain point, it's like the manager might say that, but is the manager's obligation to ever be a technical assessor of talent? Like that's another question in boxing. Does the manager have to assess talent? Does the manager even have to really know boxing? The manager just needs to know what his entity is, how to keep that fighter in the best mental capacity, make sure that that team is running at the best best possible way it can run and 
give them the best opportunities for them to get the most out of their talent. I think where it gets foggy is where sometimes managers want to sometimes be the trainer. And then all of a sudden you get, because the problem is being a trainer and being a manager is a lot to deal with. They're both full-time jobs. And sadly they don't pay like a full-time job, either one, unless you're at the elite level. So I think the biggest issue is that many times fighters have that drive you speak of that I'm going to be the guy that proves everyone wrong. But nine times out of 10, they don't, but they have a good career. But we don't celebrate good careers. We we call them bad careers or he wasn't that good. But actually, in the big scheme of things, he's like 92 out of 100 fighters. He did very, very well. And I think that's the issue is we tend to demonize people or look for people to say, oh, this fighter's career went down the went bad because of X person. And it's always kind of these outside factors where it's just maybe that's just where it'd shake out. I agree. You've mentioned um, that boxing is full of good people. I'm not sure if you talked about if you're to, if you were talking about boxing overall or boxing like professional boxing or amateur boxing. And and you also kind of gave a side eye to a boxing at the highest level. So I just wanted to talk about boxing on on sort of like the highest level or sort of like on the medium level. And I tend to disagree that like that type of boxing is full of good people. I think there are some good people in boxing, but m mainly, and when I say good, I mean by by the word good, I mean professional um ethical you know people who actually try to earn a fair dollar uh, without cheating or anything like that and i'm talking you know about about people around boxers sometimes even boxers themselves well i actually agree with your statement i think what i mean in good is i think that if you met them under any other circumstance you'd like them and it would be fine i just think that the level of poverty and the pay structure in boxing and if boxing is your sole form of income, it makes you see the worst aspects of people that you would never see in other sides of any industry. And you're and spot because, on. And because of that, you, you tend to think everyone's bad, right? But it's more so people are in their raw sense trying to survive. So you see the unethical things. Do I think the person's unethical or is this a, a situational thing? Like, who knows? Maybe it is an unethical person. Maybe it's they've been modeled this behavior. But I think boxing, for the most part, if you go to most boxing gyms, sure, there can be bad people. But boxing's a place where it's like it's kind of like education. If you're ever really lost in life, a, a gym or going back to get a master's degree it doesn't ever really hurt if you can financially make it make sense because you're just going to learn more about yourself. I think that's true in all aspects. It's just the hard part is kind of seeing the industry and the way people burn out in the industry. And, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said there's poverty there and that's why people get desperate and they do stupid things or they do unethical things. A little story, like from my personal view, uh, I've been around boxing for, I think, like for, from the sort of on the inside uh, since 2018. And uh, and I was very inspired. I was starstruck. I, I, you know, I was I was there. I was like, wow, you know, it was like a cool, like a showbiz thing. But then like the further I went into like actually uh, doing the operations and day to day, day, to day and stuff like that, I, I've encountered encountered certain people. And, 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 I f and I felt at first I felt like, whoa, like this is like weird and like basically not professional. I was like very like surprised. But then I realized eventually that if you want to 
make it in boxing. You, as you said, you have to put everything on the line and do it 24-7 because it's sort of a, a thing where you always have to be on top of it so that the opportunity comes, when, when opportunity comes, you're ready or, or something like that. It's, it's all about that. You cannot do it like part-time boxing. You cannot work in boxing part-time. I'm not talking if you're an athlete. I'm talking about if you're like a, like a guy on the outside, you know, trying to make it. And that's why, like, for me, for example, it, it, it became like, oh, like, it's either this or that. You have to either show up when the thing's happening or, or you're not showing up, but then you missed your opportunity. And so when you do this trade-off, I feel like the people who are staying in the industry are, are the ones who are actually putting everything on the line. And, uh, and those are usually, you know, not necessarily uh, the it's people. The savages. Who- it's the savages, right? It's it's the craziest people, you know, yeah. and that's what kind of makes this sport what it is, right? The rational mind is not going to stay in the boxing industry, but I think that the lifers are always going to find familiar voices in people that sound just like them. It's a very interesting, it's kind of like cowboys. It's mm-hmm. like going to like the next saloon and you run into a guy that shot three people in the cowboy days and he's still... He's still living and he tells you about how he killed a guy and you go, oh, yeah, his leg twitched. That's how it happened when I shot a guy. And then you don't know the guy, but you know they've been through the same journey. And I think that boxing is kind of like a renegade sport, but it's something that's just it's it's very unique. You know, and, and I tend to agree with Dana White. Uh, he, he recently gave this interview to some journalist. Maybe it was hype, hype boxing or something like that, hype fight. Um, he said, like, I don't trust anyone in boxing. I, I just, just cannot trust anyone in boxing because everyone is just not reliable. And uh, question to you, right. Luki. Uh, and again, that's his, just his opinion, but I, I sort of I felt his vibe. And question to you, like, what's up with this whole thing? Like, why is the one of the most influential, you know, people in boxing and he's like, almost 100 years old and eating CBDs and stuff like that. Uh, one of the biggest fight in the United States uh, was made by, you know, a British guy who came from abroad and, and he, he was the one who like kind of put his stamp on that. Like what's nothing is kind of uh, nothing is structured. Everything is like it's just like it's is it in everyone's interest that it's just stays like that? Wouldn't wouldn't be it be better if everyone can like make a fair share of their earnings? Someone's stopping this for a reason like what, is well, there it's free chance? market capitalism. What you're talking about is a form of like, how can we regulate the sport to a certain extent where like people earn more like fair wages and there's like forms of like we see a path of some sort. Basically, it's like boxing right now. The way I see it is you have a fighter. I like you. You're a good guy. Who do you got? OK, I got a guy coming off a loss. Let's get you a five hundred thousand dollar fight. Does it make sense? Not really, but I like you. I can get you on the card. Let's do it. Okay, there we go. We'll figure out how it works. And then it'll be like, okay, who can we get to fill out the card and all of that? There isn't a ton of like logical progression unless the big money is there. It's kind of like I think the main issue. I think Brad Goodman, Bruce Trampler, and Robert Diaz, and even Ron Katz do a very good job with the budgets they're given um, making fights. But I do think that at times we run into like a buddy system where it's kind of like, okay, we're going to bring this guy in because he's helped us out in the past and it makes illogical fights. I see. In your book, um, you've mentioned, and that's something that's dear to my heart is marketing. And you've mentioned something about the gym and that you may go to the gym if you're like a, a boxer that is relatively popular. You can train at the gym for free, but it's nothing, nothing is free. You have to actually promote the gym and post boxing videos like how you train in the gym and so on and so forth. How do you view uh, marketing of a boxer uh, in, 
in the social media age and in this in this century um is there like other is there enough uh done by boxers right now or people just don't care about it or they just don't know like people are just like really not willing to do like a TikTok. a lot of boxers are just like absolutely don't want to do it what's your opinion on, on the whole like self-promotion thing I just think that boxing's boxers aren't interesting. Look, I'm never going to do a TikTok video, but I feel like I've built up a platform based off of me just having opinions. Like I'm not all that fascinating, right? But it's like boxers have a level of talent, but then it's like it almost feels like a lot of these boxers want to act like they're in punishment when they have to do press conferences. Oh, I'm going to post a video. It's just a standard photo. Like I'm not going to give you a video or anything. I think the problem is, Look, I got a big 75-inch flat screen in the other room. I can put on a bunch of great movies, TVs. I can put on the NFL, the NBA, and all those entertaining things. There's people that entertain me. And boxers are having trouble understanding just how much entertainment exists in 2022. And you have to be somewhat fascinating. You have to. I think that's the other thing is people try to be disingenuous. If you're not being who you are, people see through that fake stuff right away. So like Ryan Garcia really is a kid that does the, the soldier boy dance with his friends and stuff and figures out how to do it and all that stuff. But like some of these older guys like me, I just want to see who they are and we don't get that gateway. So I think the problem is we just get a lot of fights, but we don't get a lot of stories anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you as well, like for if for a fight right now, like who would be all right, here's a question about promotion. You wrote a book about for boxers and how to become a better boxer is like uh, how to get get on top. But what about the promoters? A lot of people see the promoters, you know, and they always try to stand in the middle. They try to be the center of attention because they are promoters and they, they made this fight happen and they always kind of there on the front row. Some people try to become a promoter. Uh, or the dream of becoming a proponent. They're always kind of look, looking into it and they're trying to, you know, to try their luck. Do you have any advice for uh, for those kind of people? Because I feel like that's something that that is also deserves to um, to be written about. Um, I know there are some books about it, but like, what would you or advice for promoters, uh, prospective promoters, be? My view of a promoter, and I write about this in the book, kind of from a perspective of how you get signed with promoter. A promoter's job is to get you to a world title. Once they've gotten you to a world title, job is over, right? Getting you to a world title, that should lead to all the big fights. The big fights should happen if you have a world title. It's a major SOS if you can't make the fights once you get to the world title. But what I would say, say is, having been lucky enough to be around Don Chargin and those type of shows when Don was alive and Paco Damien, who's doing a show, fantastic show, October 29th, Cash Creek Casino, Brooks, California, Alan Sanchez main event against Saul Bustos. Awesome main event. You should come out if you can get out there. Is that you want to scale. So you don't want to jump into the deep end and try to put an event on knowing that you don't know what you can do. So it's better to sell out a venue that's a thousand seats and not be able to let people in, but know you can get that in. I think the big number, if you're doing like a semi big event is you want to do a thousand seats so you have to figure out how can you sell a thousand seats and how can you scale for that and how can you drum up interest and i think that that's kind of 
the sweet science. Like, right. If you put on a fight in North Dakota, maybe just putting on a boxing match in North Dakota sells. If you put it on California and there's eight sporting events, how do you get people excited for that? And I think that's kind of the art of promoting is how do you drum up excitement on a regional level? Um, in in the current situation, in the current arena, who is that fighter that has that story that is fascinating, uh, who is maybe up and coming or his career is already developed that you're looking at right now and you're like, huh, all right, this is interesting. I want to keep tabs on that, on that fighter. Uh, and so that, you know, our listeners and viewers can also keep tabs on those. I mean, uh, for me, it's John Boutinis from Philly. Obviously, his story is interesting with his brothers. I think another one is Shakur Stevenson. Feels like a star. Gabe Flores Jr. His mother passed away. He had two losses recently. I think he's a fantastic fighter. He could be. That could be a, if he wins a few fights. I think that could be an interesting story because people condemn you after a loss. Charles Conwell comes to mind. Um, obviously, the the tragedy around Patrick Day. Charles Conwell was involved in that. We've never really heard Conwell's side of the story, and I think he wants to achieve before he talks about the mental health component to that. A guy like Charlie Shee, he stands out to me. Sierra Martinez, who's an amateur who joined the WCAP program to get financial stability instead of going pro. And I think another one is uh, Jamal Harvey, who's coming out of the same area as Kevin Durant, and he has a very, very good amateur career. Thank you so much for mentioning all those great athletes. Luki, thanks so much for being on the spot. Your book, Inside the Ropes of Boxing, where can people find it and where can they connect with you? Oh, uh, Only on Amazon. And I mean, just try to figure out, just follow the podcast. Follow this podcast. Give a five-star review. Support the show. Don't worry about following me. Just buy the book if I sound compelling, but it doesn't matter about the social media stuff. Just buy the book, support the show, leave a good review. Absolutely. And uh, you can, again, find this uh, book on Amazon and especially on Amazon Prime, which is amazing, and uh, on Kindle as well. Uh, that's what I noticed as well, which is uh, very convenient for everybody to, to check it out. Look Audiobook coming soon. Audiobook, oh, really? We know some. I'm, I'm not trying to be funny because I sound like a dick sometimes, <laughs> but like a lot of boxers can't read. Like that's like a real thing. Hey man, so I don't read books. I listen to them too. So <laughs> no, but I mean, like, there's like a like part of a book is there's a power component, right? You have to be able to read. And there's a lot of people that can't read. So it's like, I want this book to be accessible. It might not be some like magnum opus of like writing achievement, but I think it's very helpful. And I hope that it gets in the hands of underprivileged people that can help guide them and create a structure of power or at least understand what they're getting into at a young age. Hey, quick question. Is it hard to publish a book like that? Because I always- Not at all, bro. How do you do this? <sighs> shoot you just have to type in uh what is it kdp.amazon.com mm -hmm. and then you have to get your cover you have to write something out i wrote 117 pa well i wrote 200 pages and then mm -hmm. i got an editor and my yeah. editor said well about 60 or 70 of those aren't very good mm -hmm. so then they threw that out and stuff and you know i think that what i learned from writing besides um having to have content and stuff is you need to it's not about vanity. Like, you know, I, I wanted to write crime and punishment, right? Where you get a big old fat book and it's just intimidating. Yeah. It's like 800 yeah. pages. 
but am I trying to write something that's good, that's readable? Or am I trying to write something to go up to like the hottest girl in the bar and go, do you see this? I wrote this big fat book, you know? <laughs> and that's what I had to really deal with as an author. And that sounds funny to say as an author, right? As an author, I'm an author. But that's what I had to deal with, right? Because I want to, it's like, I just got a little bit of me. Like when I go to the weight rack, I want to put up $2 bills. I want bench 225. And I got to work my way up into that and get some work in sets. So for me, it's like a lot of the ego things. I had to tuck my ego to the side. And I really respect that. There's a reason why there's a lot of applications and services that basically shorten books for you and tell you a gist of like what this book is around. Because I feel like people are incentivized to write longer books by their editors and uh, you know and all of that. I feel like there's some quarters for that. But because you're independent, you're pretty much indie for everything. So you just did what you did. And, and I, I wanted to give people the best version, right? So if people yeah. like I've already had one person who had an issue with their Kindle thing. And if people are having issues, I'm fixing the problem myself. So not just am I doing this independent, there's an issue, I'm going to make good on it. My my name is my name is my name. I stand on business. I stand on my name and I'm 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 standing on what I believe in, which is my book. I think that it's truth. And um, I appreciate anyone that listens to this or anyone that purchases a copy. I hope it's good. I hope it makes sense. I hope it's reasonable, but it's what I see to be truth. Are you going to be the one narrating the book? Because I really hope so. Um, I was thinking about it. I, I've heard that I have a distinctive voice. I've had this voice for so long. It doesn't sound distinctive. Um, my friend Nigel wants to narrate it. Interesting. I might I might do a narration. I'm really busy right now. So it's like I'd prefer I'd prefer to hand it off and just pay someone. I'd be like, hey, buddy, here you go. All right. But um, yeah, I mean, everyone's like, oh, we got to have you read it because you got this unique voice. And I always think like, what the hell, bro? Doesn't everyone kind of talk like this? But I guess not. Well, if you want, you can go the 50 Cent route when he wrote 50 is Slow of Power. And then I was listening to audiobook. It was uh, narrated by a professional narrator, but he did the opening chapters or like opening sentences or something like that, or like reading out loud the laws or something like that. So it has what? to have something of you, you know, in it. <laughs> okay. I'm do some ad libs like a rap thing. <laughs> 50, the 48 Laws of Power, there's one, like, I didn't really like that book, but in, there's one story I always love to reflect on which is the the general where your reputation is everything it goes back to my customer service for this book right so there's this general he's outnumbered and there's a whole infantry coming you probably know this story by heart and then because they knew that he was like the master of um booby traps and setting up tra traps for people basically like an ungodly number of soldiers retreated when it was just him sitting on top of a castle playing the flute because mm -hmm. his reputation outweighed the situation he was in. And I think I carry that over to people's experience with this book. I'm not saying it's the best book, but what I want people to do is if they're having any issues, reach out to me because my name is my name. I stand on business. And like that book says, your reputation is everything. So if anyone has an issue, please reach out to me. If anyone has a question, please um, let me know and um, I'll reach back out. That's fantastic. Thanks so much, Luki, for being on this podcast. And once again, everyone check out Luki's book and I will post all the details on the podcast description under the podcast notes and also the podcast video. Uh, Luki, again, gracias. And uh, this has been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you, bro. I appreciate you so much. Likewise. Thanks, everyone. This was Azizi Podcast. And uh, don't forget to subscribe uh, and rate our podcast with five stars or thumbs up on any platforms that you're listening to it anywhere in the world. All right. Thank you. <laughs>